politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for every issue that actually matters in the way it actually matters. And at the time it matters, if that is what you are hoping for, well, we are the only ones delivering that here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here today for June 21st. And yes, it's officially summer and we could just enjoy ourselves. We still earn a good enough living, at least most of us, good enough standard of life. The weather has been nice in most of the country, mild late spring, and we can enjoy our summer. We could just sit by blissfully as every existential threat, which is all coming from within, continues to tighten the noose around our necks to the point when we will no longer be able to fight it. Or we could use that window of opportunity that we've been talking about, that grace God has given us, where the left has pushed a little bit too far, too quickly, on too many issues, where the public is now awoke, so to speak, not in the way they think. And we could harness that into action, into the raw exercise of power where supposedly we actually have it. Or we could continue with Hunter Biden, the talking points, but the Democrats, but the media while they continue to win on the trannyism, not on the public opinion of it. Never has there been a time when we have faced so many issues, existential to essentiate humanity itself, the trannyism, the medical freedom, biomedical security state, the border crime, the destruction of our energy, products, goods, services, prosperity, the war on whites, which is a big problem, by the way. The debt bomb. We could talk about all of this. The Ukraine grift. And yet never have we faced such a time where we had such an opportunity to fight it. But the people purporting to fight it in, in a better day are indifferent and distracted. And in a worse day, they're downright on the wrong side of it when it actually matters. So we're going to delve into our fundamental <coughs> observation in politics. <coughs> That is our observation on politics, why there is a sense of urgency, why there's an opportunity, how Republicans are screwing us, but why it doesn't have to be that way. That's essentially, you know, the thesis of this show all the time, but we're going to drill down on a number of issues today. First off, um, folks, you know, when you talk about progressive lenses and prescriptions, we've been promoting Better Spectacles for a while. It's America's only conservative eyewear company, and they import rodentstock eyewear. See, one of the points I haven't mentioned enough is that prescription lenses here in the U.S. are centered around your pupil. That is why you need to turn your head when you're wearing progressives because if you look off peripherally, there's nothing there. And I've had this problem as glasses increasingly got smaller, I mean, now they're going back the other way, getting really big, but when they were sm really small, maybe 10 to 20 years ago, it's like you couldn't see anything. With Rodenstock lenses from Better Spectacles, the entire lens is filled with your custom prescription. So like a minute hand on a clock, each minute is a different angle. It's simple physics. It's the same with your lenses. When you look straight ahead, that is one prescription. But when you look down to read, your eyes torque in, and converge in a way that's slightly different for, for a different prescription. 
When you look peripherally, that's another prescription. So with these glasses, you can move just your eyes without moving your head. You can live the way you used to be before you had progressives. With Rodenstock's intelligence glasses, your brain will adapt to them nearly instantly. So if you head over to betterspectacles.com conservative, you can get what I've gotten, what my family has gotten. Um, it works seamlessly with your brain. 61% off uh, your eyewear uh, plus free handcrafted frames go now to betterspectacles.com slash conservative so let's start off with some observations about switzerland i want to show you what happens when you don't seize the moment when you wait until it's too late when you don't seize the opportunity where the public agrees with you and you can get away with the raw exercise of power in the direction you want to take the country. What happens when you allow the left and the demonic forces of the globalists to successfully implement their policies without a meaningful pushback? Well, for, for one, they succeed in implementing without pushback. I mean, it's self-explanatory. But also, it does succeed in moving the public. We've talked about this a lot, how in many respects, contrary to public opinion, or culture is actually downstream from politics. So the more you politically succeed at implementing something, the more you make it inevitable, the more people in their mind is like, oh, I, I guess that's the way things need to be. Naturally, they wouldn't have thought a man's a woman Naturally, they wouldn't have thought we need to get rid of cars. Naturally, they wouldn't think that you need to invade your country with a bunch of African migrants. Naturally, they wouldn't think that uh, whites are inferior and need to be discriminated against. But I guess this is where it's at. And it moves public opinion to the point that you can no longer fight back. That's where a lot of European countries are today. You know, you look at COVID, we've said this a lot. COVID, I mean, you look at even the way the Democrats are talking, they're running away from this stuff, even while they're quietly cementing on the legal and political playing field, cementing the biomedical security state with the ICD codes, the monitoring, the surveillance, the endless warp speed in vaccines. We talked about the Uniform Law Commission is working to uh, synergize state statutes on gubernatorial powers to lock you down. But it does not pull well. First it started lockdowns, then mass, and now even the vaccines do not pull well with the public. But you go to Canada and Europe, it's crazy. I mean, they, they, they clearly haven't gotten enough of it. We need to seize the moment before America becomes like that. So in Switzerland... On the one hand, you got to give them more credit than other countries because they actually did try to hold popular referendums on COVID emergency powers. They held a vote in June 2021. The only country I know that does this, they're very into that kind of popular referendums. It has its pluses and minuses, obviously. But they put it to the people, all these COVID measures. Lockdown, surveillance, authority, social distancing, masking. June 2021. So this is well after we knew this was just insane. And the science behind it was a crock. 
60.2% voted in favor. Then again, in November, they held a second referendum. And if anything, this was stricter because this one codified you know, comprehensive contact tracing, and that's when they began with the next step, which was vaccine passports, certificates. That was introduced. This was even worse. So we had more time to make the case and convince people of the absurdity of it, but in fact, the measures were even stronger. Despite that, it grew slightly to 62% supported it. Okay, and, and, and you can't make this excuse that maybe, you know, it was a low turnout affair. No, it was, it was one of the highest turnouts in Swiss history because they hold these votes all the time. These popular votes nationwide, very high turnout, 65.7%. Fast forward to last week, and opponents of the COVID regime did seem to get enough support to get it on the ballot. I forget how much they need, but they did trigger a third referendum because, you know, even though it's largely over with, you know, in terms of the pandemic-related stuff, but as we've noted, they're moving to an endemic, a lower, a, a, a softer touch day-to-day, but nonetheless a permanent regime. In other words, they're keeping vaccine certificates. So while they're not currently locking people out of services for it, but they want to keep the vaccine certificates until the summer of 2024. They're talking about the variants and things like that. By the way, even though they've raised concerns about the vaccines and they don't really even offer them anymore, really a schizophrenic notion. So by now, like everyone's done with this. This is a crock, right? Nope. 61.9% voted to affirm the pandemic measures, the COVID-19 measures. So here's the thing. Over the course of three years, they have not moved the public one iota. That should scare the heck out of us. And by the way, I would note, That is a good size of our country, is like that. See, we're talking about America, the median, the mean average political uh, orientation of an American is to the right of Europe. But obviously, if you go to California, you go to most of New England and New York and Maryland and Illinois, they're pretty much on par with that. We have lost that. You're never going to gain that back. And that noose is tightening. This window, that's why I keep saying when you have a window of the people like, yeah, this is really stupid. We ain't doing that again. Well, you're right. You might not want to do that again, but they are planning it. And whether it's the warp speed stuff, whether it's the masking is still there in, in, in Chile, they're, they're masking in school for RSV now. This ain't over. Now is the time to strike while it is unpopular before all this stuff becomes popular permanently and you have no ability to lock it out. And remember, we're dealing with a generational bomb. We have the boomers, but then we have the zoomers, all these robotic, you know, 15 to 25 year olds. And it just gets worse as they get younger and get older. 
increasingly, they're, they're, you know, if you look at any poll, we're winning on all of the issues. But if you isolate that generation, now we've seen some movement back a little bit, like we talked about in the trendy stuff, but it's still pretty bad. Time is of the essence. And by the way, in that same referenda, that same thing, they also voted 59% to pass a climate change law that aims to reach net zero by 2050. Net zero by 2050. So this is the full bore thing. And 79% supported a minimum OECD tax. This is the cooperation of 38 mainly Western countries where they want to set a a minimum tax, a global minimum tax of at least 15% applied to large multinational enterprises. Um, At some point, I want to delve into this in more detail because the Democrats are pushing it. Even some Republicans are ambivalent on this issue. They want to have this global minimum tax in these 38 nations. This is a big, big problem. 79% in Switzerland supported it. So you put this stuff to a global referendum. And again, obviously, we don't believe in direct democracy. You want it republicanism. But still, it's a measure of where the people are. And I'm here to tell you that we have never had an opportunity in America to push back on the top 10 issues. But never before have Republicans been in the wrong direction. We need to correct that. So I want to extrapolate on this a little bit more had it not become like Switzerland. But first, we're becoming worse than Switzerland with our debt bomb. Folks, they're moving away from the dollar. China is going to tighten the noose around our head, and this whole thing's going down. Now is the time to diversify with gold, with Birch Gold Group. Text 989898 to get your free info kit on how to convert your existing IRA, or if you want to make a new one, 401k, um, rather than putting your savings into BlackRock. Put it into something of value, gold and silver. They hold it for you in a safety deposit box. They have several places around the country. If you text Daniel to 989898, claim your free info kit, you'll see where to call a specialist. And it's not like speaking to some sort of foreigner. These are like Ron Paul economists you're going to talk to. They'll help you with your personal situation, guide you from A to Z if this is something new to you, how to convert your savings, your retirement to something of value. Again, text Daniel to 989898 today. And folks, I mean, it's getting bad. We're up to $580 billion of new debt. They serviced uh, pursuant to the debt deal forged by Kevin McCarthy. Um, and let me give you an example. So this week, they serviced another $65 billion in three-month treasuries. The the interest on that is going to be eight hundred and twelve point five million, just one tranche. If you would look back a year ago, it would have been just two hundred forty two million. So that's almost quadruple because of the interest rates. <laughs> Dude, this thing is going down quick. But anyway, just to return to our discussion today, you look at. The boycotts in the culture, you look at the pushback, particularly on the tranny issue. The public is there. Biden is unpopular. His policies are unpopular. The only thing we can do to save them is to ignore the primaries for governor, for legislature, ignore legislative sessions, ignore what these rhino governors are doing on green energy, 
ignore what they're doing with their health departments to continue the biomedical security state and promote the vaccines. And notice, these are all Republican states. Democrats don't harm us. The media doesn't harm us. We can continue allowing the land grab in South Dakota. We can continue ignoring the leverage points with the NDAA. It's being marked up this week. And the budget bill, what we can get at a federal level and push for and fight for. And just focus on Hunter Biden. But the you see, it's, it's not fair. It's not fair. Okay, so what are you going to do about it? I have given a strategy for how to deal with energy, inflation, border, crime, all things COVID vaccines, biomedical security state, obviously Ukraine, the political targeting. But nobody else is doing that. You just If you're just going to say it's unfair what happened to Hunter Biden, nothing's going to come of that. And then, of course, if your solution is to elevate the most unpopular person, Donald J. Trump, you're stupid. You're just stupid. You are going to crush our opportunity and you're going to get the electorate to become like it is in Europe with this sort of stuff. I mean, think about it. This is unprecedented with boycotts. Target, Target um, Anheuser-Busch and Kohl collectively lost $28.7 billion in market value since the beginning of April. That's astounding. That's rare, amazing news to celebrate. But the Trump team opposes the boycott. They will never be a force. So you can imagine if DeSantis is president and... and or even before becomes the de facto party leader, the, the, the nominee, he will be, again, a tailwind to this sort of effort, not a headwind. And that brings me to Mitte Trump. So again, the difference between utilizing where the public in America is right now versus Switzerland. Who is going to floor the gas pedal on getting us to where we need to get and who is going to convince the public to be like Switzerland. Now, I'll tell you, we act as if COVID is a fossil of the past. Oh, when did you support? Well, you supported mass then or you praised the vaccines early on too or he did that. Or... We are talking about right now. This is a live fire grenade. You know, right now, ASIP, the CDC Advisory Committee, is kicking off a three-day meeting, pushing everything from RSV to flu to more COVID boosters to dengue fever, monkeypox, all this stuff. How many congressional staffers from GOP leadership do you think are assigned to watching the hearing and flagging lies and problematic policies for oversight and targeting in the HHS and FDA appropriation bills. Zero. No one's going to care about what they're doing. And again, even though most people aren't getting shots, what they're doing is promoting an endemic framework. So you tell people, oh my gosh, huh, pandemic's still going on, you need a COVID shot. 95% of people will be like, that's bull. We're done with it. But if you say, oh no, no, we have a fall booster, just like you get your flu shot. Well, now we have flu, RSV, and COVID. Just to stay updated. Oh, okay. Well, some people are going to buy into that. Pregnant women. Every OBG, and even if they're suspicious of it, they're going to feel very conflicted. And I understand. Do you want to save your baby? And then remember, as much as 
for newborns and, and infants, it was always the most indefensible to pursue COVID shots, even before we knew that the COVID shots were problematic. But remember that those are the kids that all the pediatricians are telling their patients, oh, I understand you had COVID already. I understand we're done with the pandemic. But remember, this is a new generation, never got COVID. They're vulnerable to it. They're going to tell them that. This needs to be stopped. This needs to be defunded in the budget bills. The State Departments of Health need to recommend against it, ideally take it off the market. Other states need to be doing a grand jury like Florida. And we need to start pushing against the 1986 amnesty bill, not to be mixed up with the Simpson-Mazzoli, the illegal alien amnesty, the amnesty bill for vaccine companies. I guess that was a really bad year, 86. And the PrEP Act. With that preface, I want you guys to listen to some of Trump. Now, look up the Brett Baer interview. Maybe it's like an hour. It's worth watching all of it. And I want you to look into that man's eyes. And what you see and hear is a man that knows nothing about policy, doesn't care to learn. Anyone who thought that maybe he's gotten more aggressive, learned his lesson on personnel, he literally has not. He looks extremely weak, extremely tired. To a large degree, he almost sounds like John Fetterman, increasingly. He almost sounds vaccine injured. It's just really bizarre, the stuff that comes out of his mouth. I don't understand how it's defensible. Every single one of my colleagues, oh, Trump, 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 Trump versus Hunter. They're mean to Trump. I get it. But how do you have a man that will look us in the eye after the worst policy ever in genocide and say, I regret not a single thing I did on COVID. I don't regret the lockdowns. They saved lives. I don't regret the vaccines. They saved lives. If you had any random, low-level, random Republican rhino congressman saying this, they'd be all over him. But they are dead silent. No matter how egregious he says things, and it's not just that they're left-leaning things, egregious things. They're enlightening. They're revealing as to how he plans on governing now. It's not just like, I wish you were stronger, but the issue is over with. Is this a man who's going to push the end of the PrEP Act? Is this the man who's going to defund this? Take a listen. Play about a minute here. Where... Brett Baer asked him about the vaccines. You know, people have issues with them. Take a listen here. Did the COVID vaccine work? It's such an interesting question because not only that, I also did the Regenerons of the world. You know, the whole, we did a tremendous job on that. Uh, But we had a vaccine. Now you have different, you have different COVIDs. You had COVID-19, and then you had different COVIDs. But we had an original was COVID-19, which was the roughest one. So I have a Democrat friend who's very smart. Hopefully he votes for me, but he's very smart. He said, I don't understand one thing about you. I watch your rallies. They're incredible. You talk about beating ISIS. You talk about taxes. You talk about uh, regulation. You talk about everything. But you never saw said that I've never heard you talk about how the incredible job you did with the vaccines, because, as you know, I got them done in nine months, and it was supposed to take anywhere from five to 12 years. I broke their ass, okay? And you know who doesn't like me too much? The FDA. 
because they were very bureaucratic, and I got it done. And he said, you may have saved in the world, throughout the world, 100 million people, and you never talk about it. I said, I really don't want to talk about it because as a Republican, it's not a great thing to talk about because for some reason, it's just not. For some reason? Yeah, for some reason, because people love the vaccines and people hate the vaccines. Okay, so folks, this is jaw-dropping. A Democrat friend tells me I need to promote the vaccines more. See, this is a general problem. We laugh, but when Trump is able to plot and scheme like if he prepares a social media post. But when you hit him in an interview you know, on the spot, he actually is very honest. And, and, I, and I understand, and I'm not saying this sarcastically, why people find that refreshing. He really will tell you what's on his heart. But often his heart is naked. He looks pathetic what he says. Well, Chris Christie told me to appoint Chris. He'll, people say I need to do this. Like, it's literally the polar opposite of the persona of strength and alpha maleness that his supporters build up and project upon him where it doesn't exist. A Democrat friend tells me I need to promote the vaccines more. And then he says, like, the FDA, I pushed in, the FDA doesn't like me. Are you kidding? The FDA to this day is using warp speed as the new paradigm for every every other vaccine. It's not an issue in the past. I saved 100 million people. This guy, Dr. Toby Rogers, worked out that on Twitter, I saw, that in order for Trump's statement to be true you would basically have to have COVID as a 33, as a 33% fatality rate and 100% efficacy in order to get to that 100 million number. When in fact, obviously, for most people, the fatality rate was extremely low, a fraction, decimal, and uh, it had negative efficacy. And then he says, for some reason... For some reason, people don't like my vaccines. And then he went on to say after that clip, I I won't play it, but it was another another little bit just because it's not cut. You have a lot of people that love the vaccines. I mean, you do. They happen to be more Democrat than they are Republican. There are people that say I saved 100 million lives. So a lot of people are like they think he's playing games here. I, I have heard from multiple people that have been in the room with him and have broached this with him that what you he- see is what you get. That's literally how he is privately. To this day, he literally does not get it. He, he, he gets the fact that Democrats love the vaccine and Republicans, I would argue, independents do not. He gets the politics. He literally doesn't get it. Meaning, he is ceding or conceding less injury than even what the Biden administration has admitted to and has acknowledged. He is that low IQ and dumb and uninformed. He literally, I, he's not playing games like people think he's trying to defend his honor. He you know, had his, um, his legacy built upon it. I mean, that's true, but he really doesn't know what's going on. And that in itself should scare you. 
See, if if I had the confidence that he actually knew it, but is just trying to play to his ego and won't publicly admit it, okay, maybe you could work with him privately to change policy. He literally doesn't. He thinks it's it. It was the greatest thing. It saved the world. I mean, pick like the worst Karen, Peter Holtz or something like the worst Karen doctor, and that's where he is. He's worse than like the average Democrat politician on this. He literally thinks. Nothing is wrong with this. When it very likely killed Ivana Trump, his his former wife. He does not see any problem. That should scare the heck out of you. I mean, this is this is the problem. See, there's been a lot of debate and I want to kind of spend a little bit of time on this about when people came to what decision, when they did. So there's lockdowns and masks, and then there's vaccines. And, and they're different things, because for for the lockdowns and masks, I'm going to have a stronger standard, because that's not science or whatever. I mean, it, it, it involves it a little bit, but you should know that is not okay for a government to do that to people. Whereas you, you bring out vaccines, I mean, as long as you're not mandating them, you know, I, I did not... I didn't even know what a phase three trial was in January 2021 uh, when it came out. And I didn't know what VAERS was. I I started covering it late March. Okay, so it was, you know, in the third month. That is very early for almost all my colleagues. I was one of the first. But, you know, those that were really plugged into it, particularly those that were suspicious of vaccines before this, and they were really clued in on it, so they were on it, you know, maybe even the clinical trial, like some of the doctors, like Dr. Lynn Finn, but I wouldn't have known about that. And that's not reasonable to ask a governor to know that. And indeed, there is not a single, to this day, DeSantis is the only governor that is has the grand jury, is putting out uh, informed consent. The um, My sister is, um, she's not a doctor, but she's a speech therapist in... Uh, Palm Beach County, so she's part of, I guess, like technically a healthcare worker. She gets the alerts all the time. They're putting out information, like you should know, there's risk with the vaccine. It is the only state in June 2023. He stopped promoting it. All The Department of Health seized all promotion of it in the fall 2021. Now, would I rather it was even a few months earlier? Of course. So they'll take statements from him in the first few months where he was promoting it, of course. There was no political ability to fight it. And also remember, he was hanging on for his political life, fighting the lockdowns and the mass and doing battle with the localities. The vaccines early on, even by the anti-lockdown crowd, was viewed as, hey, like even I was saying, look, we have vaccines. You have no excuses. Let's end this garbage. So that was a way of ending it. He wasn't mandating it or whatever. But there was no leg for him to stand on after showing that you oppose the the vaccines, you oppose ma- uh, the lockdowns, you oppose the masks. Oh, I'm going to oppose the vaccines too. So he is to this day still, I would say, where are we? Mm, 18 to 20 months ahead of everyone else and still counting. So I could say I wish he would have done it earlier, but there is no there's no one there's no other political leader you could point to that you are in charge of a state and you had the ability to dump on what was viewed as saving lives 
And remember, at the time, see, now it's like, I don't want to hear about lockdowns. And we're right to say that. You know, with Congress only limiting their their uh, inquiry to, like, school closures, that issue's over. No, you need to be talking about the safety of the vaccines. But, you know, back in the first half of 2021, yeah, you'll dig up, you know, photo ops of him at vaccine drives and things like that, of course. And he did it right. If you're going to do it, he, he said, look, you know, we're going to focus on seniors first. You can't say everyone else is in danger. And in retrospect, he's willing to admit that was a mistake. He's like, it's a problem. So the, the Trump administration, what they're doing is, to this day, he's saying it saved 100 million people, not a single thing. It's great. It's amazing. People don't. It's great. And somehow that's equivalent to DeSantis in early 2021 saying they support it. And the reason why he support it is because the Trump administration released it. That's that's number one. And then number two is when it comes to like, you know, state stay-at-home orders. So, yeah, I mean, I wish DeSantis would have been exactly where I was as a talk show host on March 16th. But remember that Daniel Horowitz as a talk show host, you're never going to, you're always as a governor, you have to govern down the middle. And I don't mean necessarily like middle, middle, but like you're the whole of the people. So you're always going to have people like me that will secure the right flank to move them over as quickly as we can. But you have to find out what's politically tenable. No one else did better. So the Trump people are trying to, and, and Trump mentioned this in the interview, what they're going to try to do is say, no, there is a precedent being better. He mentioned Henry McMaster and, and um, Bill Lee and Christy Noem. Now, those of you who live in those states are probably laughing because you know what happened there. And by the way, the reason why he mentioned McMaster, he, he tried to say, oh, no, other states didn't have lockdowns. South Carolina absolutely, he said, did, did not do a lockdown. But... And then he said Georgia was okay. Mind you, he criticized Kemp, who was the first to reopen. And I don't like Kemp on other issues, including vaccines, by the way. It was just that one part of COVID he was good on. Um, and he criticized that. And then he says South Carolina did better. It's literally not true. The reason why he did was because earlier in the interview, and again, this is like part of the Fetterman bizarreness, when, when, uh, Brett Baer brought all these people that Trump appointed that are now adversarial to him. And it's like, like you know, you're, you're just like incompetent. You, you say you appoint the best people. They fight with you. So, so he said the most bizarre thing that nobody believes and nobody ever made that he appoint. And, and, and again, we're not talking about a minor position. You know, this is like cabinet level de facto. It's basically like, you know, among your top three foreign policy people right there with the Secretary of State, um, UN ambassador. So he appointed Nikki Haley in order to drive her out of the governorship so he could get his friend Henry McMaster, who is lieutenant governor, to be governor, and he's just terrific. First of all, nobody buys that. Second of all, Henry McMaster is pathetic. He's very quiet. So he's one of these guys that's like, Oh, I didn't have stay at I, I didn't do it. But the reality is it's semantics. Three things. They all promoted it. They greenlit every business and locality 
worth more than three people to promote it. We talked about this for three years. So you'd have all these red states. Oh, we don't have an official state. There were maybe eight of them that didn't. Iowa, South Dakota, whatever. But now, and some of the ones Trump mentioned did actually have stay at home, even at a state level. But they literally encouraged them. They promoted it. Uh, Bill Lee starred in those goofy ads demanding people wear masks. Um, but then they'll say, oh, we didn't have a state. They wouldn't, wouldn't have a mask order. But they allowed every business in every quarter of the state and every locality that had more of three than three people and every single school to do it. Okay? And then their health departments promoted it. So not just the local health departments, but the state one, which is the governor's administration, promoted it. So this equivalence of DeSantis is bullcrap. You could tell his intuition from day one. He, he opposed it. He got a tremendous amount of pressure. He gave in to a certain extent, but not really, because there was nothing he did at a state level that advanced what was already happening from the companies and the localities. And he even explicitly was the only one in the order to say, you cannot shut down churches, a couple other things. And then once he got his footing, he did battle with the schools, did battle with the localities, did battle with the businesses. He was the only one who leaned in on that, then got Latipo in and turned the Department of Health not only from not being a, 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 a vehicle for something bad, but for downright going after the businesses, going after the hospitals, going after the human rights. And again, we could always say he could have done more, could have done more, could have done more. And, and you know, we, we pushed for it, I agree. But there is no precedent for someone be he's light years ahead of everyone else. So Christy Nome is playing, they're trying to play her up. Oh, they technically didn't have a state stay-at-home order. Now, A, in her case, she actually tried twice the legislature rebuffed, so it's a uh, you know false. But even the other six or seven states, the problem with that is that it's me- meaningless because they quietly promoted it, they even publicly promoted it. Their health department to this day is pimping it. And so much so that every time we had a bill in the legislature to stop the localities and the businesses from doing vaccine and mass mandates, they viciously opposed it. In the case of Christy Nome, primaried some of my friends who, who had the bills. And in other states, they just sent down the Department of Health people to, to vehemently oppose it, and successfully so. Now, in, in, in Tennessee, they did pass some good bills, but that was no thanks to the governor. So th- that is a big lie. You can't like, oh, well, you supported a stay-at-home at some point so at the first few weeks. Yeah, you could find a picture of DeSantis wearing a mask at some point like everyone did. But he is the only one who did battle with, to this day, not a single other governor did battle against the mass and saying it's immoral, never again. We you know, ban it, went after the schools, all these things. Oh, we didn't, we had the schools open. They had the children masked in, as long as the blue states did it. So the record needs to be set on that. You could say you wish in retrospect DeSantis would have done better even earlier, and he basically has said that. Has no problem saying it was stupid. No one else will. So the moral equivalence is retarded. But then Trump went on to say he doesn't regret anything on COVID. 
Brett Baer asked him, do you regret it? He said nothing. So that includes lockdowns. Then when he asked about firing Fauci, he said he couldn't fire Fauci because he's civil service. I mean, again, like, that's a big problem. DeSantis says, I don't care. I'm going to pick a fight on that. I don't care about the civil service laws. I have Article 2 power, and you know he's going to use it. Because he fired his own version of Fauci. I forget the guy's name that he was stuck with when he became governor as um, Surgeon General. He canned him. And by the way, the Republican legislature was not very easy on that to confirm Latipo. The contrast is unreal. How are you going to drain the deep state if that's your mentality? Also, you didn't need to even fire him. You could have sidelined him. You didn't have to make him the head of the pandemic response. <laughs> like, this is what people forget. He was the head of NIAID, which is an agency under, um, under NIH, which technically wasn't even a, a cabinet level, not a cabinet, I mean a Senate confirmation position. So he could have totally gone after him. He didn't have to make him, and when he after he was elevated, he could have demoted him. That wasn't a, I'm saying that's not part of civil service anyway. Okay, he was the guy, you turned to Fauci. I, I, I don't begrudge that for the first few weeks. Just to, like, I don't begrudge the beginning of the vaccine. You didn't know. I didn't know that they w- would kill us either. But now you know. But it went on for month after month after month after month after month. And he says, he says he wasn't even a big deal. He says, he said to Brett Baer, it wasn't until Biden really made him a big deal. That's actually not true. He was actually much more of a fixture on TV and press conferences under Trump. By the time you had Biden, already the severe lockdowns were over. It was more the endemic long-term stuff like the mandates. And that's true. Obviously, the vaccine mandate was was only under Biden. We all understand that. You know, I'm assuming I'll give him, you know, assume we could assume that Trump wouldn't have done things like the CMS mandate. Fine. Okay, let's assume that. But, you know, that was broad, broad spectrum across the admin. The Fauci stuff was all 2020. That was all Trump. And we begged and begged and begged. And then even when we finally, and that was literally... Scott Atlas got his had got his start here at the Blaze before Fox had him on. That's when Trump saw him. So I think it was late August he brought in Atlas. But even then, he didn't replace him. He's like, "Hey Atlas, go fight with with um with uh, Tony and Debbie." That's what he told him. So it's like the Hunger Games. So you can't sit and have an admin, and and that's what the Trump admin always was. You had some good people and a bunch of horrible people. You can't have that. They all have to be swimming in the same direction. You can have a different style, different perspective, but you have to share the same values. And he did that the entire year. You had, you could look it up, January 14th, 2021. Okay? That's like months after even the slow people knew that social distancing and masking was a crock. And harmful. This man is hours away from getting out of office. And he, I mean, they were going to throw him in jail. If you remember, like there was, there was, we were very close to a coup. I mean, it was a soft coup, 
But, like, they were literally talking about deposing him. And yet he was so weak and pathetic, his his task force commission, whatever the coronavirus thing, they were hitting DeSantis, you need masks. It's open record, as well as the things that I know, that his chief of staff was calling DeSantis at every stage and saying, you better shut down the beaches. I mean, the degree of demonic gaslighting for Trump to then put out an ad and say, oh, you, you shut down the... Be- Are you kidding me? DeSantis is 50 light years ahead of anyone who had power. Ron, DeSant- uh, Ron, Ron John is, is amazing. Ron Johnson, he, but he was a senator. He, didn't, he was never on the hook to implement and didn't have that pressure. He was just a senator. Nobody could light a candle to him. You could find weaknesses that we wish could have been done earlier. But A, there's no one else who has shown that they were able to do better. And B, to the extent he was weak, it was because of Trump. Had Hillary been president, DeSantis would have blown that off easily. And and other governors probably would have too. That's what people forget. He enabled this. In many ways, it was negative efficacy. We're worse off. And then he said, I allowed the governors to do what they want. There's literally a tweet from him. A lot of you know that from, uh, what was it, from May or June. There's this misinformation. It's not the governor's decision. It's my decision when to reopen. The guy sounds like freaking Fetterman. This is extremely unacceptable on the biggest issue of our time. But each one of these is not just from the past. It portends on this issue still going on, but also on every other issue you care about. He's scared. Chris Christie told me to keep him. I'm scared. They told me to keep him. Uh, they, they tell me. They tell me what to do. How could you still be in favor of this guy? Again, this is not, oh, but Biden. This is not a general election. This is not defending him as an incumbent president. He is no longer president. And this is a primary And you have a choice. And not just a Nikki Haley, a Mike Pence, or even a Greg Abbott. You have someone much better than we've ever had this generation. No one's perfect. Take yes for an answer. But I'm not even asking them to endorse DeSantis. Just rebuke him and tell him this is unacceptable. They will not cover it. They will not cover that Brett Baer interview. And, and then he was asked about the First Step Act, Brett Baer. And again, say what you want about Brett and Fox. I don't like Fox, but it was, it was a good interview. It wasn't adversarial. You just asked him straight up. You know, you, you champion the First Step Act, but then you say drug traffickers should get the death penalty. And he sounded retarded. Nobody understands what he said. I don't think he does. Now there's news about Trump aides telling Politico... Oh, Daniel, Politico is lying. No, Trump's aides are talking with them because they're friends with the media. That he's considering picking South Carolina rep Nancy Mace as VP. She's pro-abortion, but she's like, she is literally the worst rhino. When you talk about a five-seat majority and why we can't pass good things, she is always at the top of that, why we can't pass good things. She is opposing everything. 
She's a huge... Now, she did oppose the debt ceiling deal for her own business, got good on a couple of issues, but still on net, she is a horrible rhino wasting a South Carolina seat. That That's what I'm telling you. It's like every time even I want to like delude myself, like think, all right, maybe Trump's inevitable and we just got to make the best of it and find a way to work. Maybe he's okay, he got rid of Kushner. Maybe he'll be better. He's not. Look at what the guy himself does and says. We cannot squander the gains we made on medical freedom and, tra- and, and, and the whole rainbow jihad. Civilization issues. Dealing with our minds, bodies, and souls. You can't get more, more direct than that. Where he is bad on those issues. But again, it's not any one issue. Look at that interview in totality and its weakness, indecision, fear for whatever other people will think, fear about personnel choices. He's literally incapable of firing people. And again, this is, uh, this is not like a retroactive thing. Before DeSantis was ever viewed as any, I ever even had an inkling he'd run for president. I said all of these things for four years when he was president. Live, as they happened. So I'm not like, it's nothing to do with DeSantis and we're like retroactively digging up some oppo research. We lived this. I wrote hundreds of columns and hundreds of, of, of podcasts we did together. You guys who were with me back then remember all of this. There's nothing new. I'm not reinventing the wheel. But the point is, he hasn't changed. Changed. He's persisted in this. Nothing changes with this man. We cannot afford to lose the gains we've made. With that interview alone, he disqualified himself a hundred times over. A hundred times over. I want to just end off with, when you talk about the sense of urgency, I always go to the Democrats. If you ever want to know what we should do, look at the Democrats. See, what's interesting is the my colleagues have the right metaphor, but the wrong focus. They, they're always obsessed with but the Democrats. But they learn their wrong lesson. The thing is, well, the Democrats are doing really bad, so I don't care that the Republicans are doing bad because the Democrats are worse. That's kind of their thing. My point is, no. But the Democrats is more like the Democrats fight like hell for their cause and utilize every leverage they have. We should do the same with as much intensity as much to the right for our cause. This is from Vanity Fair. We've talked a lot about the Minnesota legislature and how historically the Republicans had at least the Senate. So the Democrats never had full control, trifecta control. They have a pretty narrow House majority, but they got a one-seat Senate majority for the first time along with a radical governor. And they floored the gas pedal. Vanity Fair article title, we don't know how long we have. Minnesota Democrats are passing as many progressive laws as they can. As soon as Minnesota Dems secured both the governorship and majorities in the legislature, Tim Waltz huddled with his party leaders to map out an aggressive agenda. 
During his first term, he struggled with a divide, but now he knew he wouldn't. And he did an interview with Vanity Fair on this. And basically, in the past six months, they reinforced the constitutional right to abortion, legalized marijuana, created paid family and medical leave, expanded gun control regs, red flag laws, restored voting rights to uh, violent felons, made school breakfast and lunch free, K through 12, set a 100% carbon-free standard by 2040. Again, you talk about Switzerland there. It's 10 years earlier. Protected the rights of unionized workers, increased taxes, transgender stuff, you name it. It's all there. They had automatic voter registration, register 16-year-olds to vote. And um, their point is, where is this? He interviewed the governor, this reporter for Vanity Fair, and I'm just trying to see this guy, Hortman. I'm forgetting who he is. He's like a Democrat consultant or something. He said, we don't know how long we have. We've got the majority right now. We know this is a delicate set of circumstances. We've only had one other Democrat trifecta in the last 20 years. I want you to think about this is their sense of urgency on issues that, frankly, at least a good number of them, even in Minnesota, probably don't pull that well, you know, in, to varying degrees. And they know that it's rare that they could, because of the map, because generally outside of the Twin Cities area, it's conservative. So, you know, just uh, district-wise, it's hard for them to get enough Senate seats and keep it. And yet, with one seat majority, they're going to floor the gas pedal. And here we have like 22 states where the Republicans always have a trifecta and a number of others where they you know could easily get them or often get them. And they won't do jack squat. They won't do jack squat. You know, to, to contrast that, picture a state like North Dakota. Okay? Th- th- this is... See, Minnesota is not... North Dakota is not the mirror image of it. The mirror image would be, let's say, Virginia. So they actually got... You know, it, it was red, then it turned purple, then it turned deep blue. And then they're winning it back. They got Yunkin in. They got the house... And now the Dems have like a, a, I think a one or two seat majority in the Senate, and they're looking to flip it and get a trifecta this November. Okay, big, big thing there. But I can guarantee you, even in the best scenario, they'll never do that. Fine, but that's Virginia. They're scared, unlike Dems who aren't scared in a tenuous state. North Dakota, this is from American Experiment ND.org, Bill Walsh. He has a blog on North Dakota politics. It's hard to imagine a political party dominating a state legislature more than North Dakota Republicans. They have an 84 to 12 majority in the House, 43 to 4 in the Senate. Um, but he notes that there are a bunch of Republicans, they created a, a computer algorithm to analyze votes of every North Dakota legislator to determine how they voted. The results in the North Dakota House are stunning. 45 of the 84 members of the GOP caucus vote more with liberal members of the House than with conservatives. So that's slightly more than a majority, and this is the lower House, which is usually more conservative, vote with the left. Some 
are only marginally to the left of center, but there are more than enough Republicans that are really bad. They vote with the 12 dark blue Dems. Okay? They actually claim the Senate is a little bit more conservative, but I don't I actually don't really see that practically, but whatever. Imagine th- this is my point. Where are the talk show hosts, the writers, the think tanks, the organizations, all these things? See, there's going to be diminishing returns when you go up against Democrats. You know, you could yell about Biden all day, but as long as he's in office, there's a limit to what you could do to change policy. Now, there's a lot they can do to leverage now that they have control of the House. When we talk about that, it's a whole other story. But, but, if they only focused on the areas of the country where their influence would totally blow the roof off, expose these people, Governor Doug Burgum, do you think he wants to be viewed as, you know, the way the base views um, Mike Pence? No. Chris Christie for sure, uh, Christie known for sure. Imagine if they all focused on her siding with green energy to steal people's land while testifying about private property rights. I'm the only one who will cover that. See, every day, all of talk show hosts get on the case, Hunter Biden's corrupt. Well, I mean, how much more are you going to move the needle? But if they would all say, Christy Nome better, better support a emergency session to support the piece of legislation ending private use eminent domain for carbon capture pipelines, I, I almost don't see a scenario where she, she wouldn't do it. We are leaving this on the table in areas where we have permanent majority, much less areas where it's a little bit more tenuous, where because of Democrat pushback, the, the voters are starting to come back on these issues, on economy, on border, on transgenderism, things like that, where we really, and, and certainly vaccines and things like that, we have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity with this reawakening on vaccines. Are we going to squander it with Trump? And again, it's not just Trump, it's all these people. But Trump prevents us from ever moving on to other issues, from focusing on other things, and often he endorses these people and brings them in. Look at Switzerland. Look at Minnesota. That's what all of America will be if we don't strike while the iron's hot. Let me know your comments, questions, concerns. Send an email to danielhorowitz at startmail.com at rmconservative on Twitter. My columns will be out daily at Conservative Review and The Blaze kind of alternating. Some are there, some are. Check out both of them. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.